Man, this room. Uh, I'm sure JP shared about how you got this room back, right? Did he share about this testimony? Did you ever share, JP? No, you didn't? Should I not? Maybe not. <laughs> Anyways, it took a miracle for us to worship in this room. And this is the room that we've been worshiping in for more than a decade. And so if you think about even back in 2005, 4, 3, there were students, exchange students like you, you guys. They came through Yonsei and they worshiped in this very room. And then this semester, it was almost impossible to actually get this room reserved, right? And then we kept on praying. Uh, but then there... It, it seemed like there was no way to get it, but then uh, God sent uh, somebody with power and authority to help us. And out of her own initiative, she actually got this room back for us. So I was really, really thankful. So it really took a miracle to, uh, I guess, be able to worship in this room again. You know, so I'm really, really thankful. You know, I've been preaching in this room uh, for about 10 years now, ever since I started ministry. And then before then, I was a student. I, I went to Yihua, uh, Women's University, the neighboring school. So, be- oh yeah, oh, is there one year person here? Okay. And so because I went to Yihua, I came here to worship with the rest of the uh, Emmaus back then as well. And so it's really special uh, that I get, I get to uh, speak here again. Okay. Um, today, I'm going to preach on... Um, a, t- a topic that I am very passionate about. Uh, the title of today's message is this, In a Relationship. In a Relationship. Okay? Clarify, I'm not preaching on dating or anything, so don't get too excited. Okay? <laughs> I'm talking about different relationship. I'm going to talk about the relationship that we have with God. Okay? So, uh, I gotta, you know, I, I don't have that much time, so I'm going to try to go through this really fast, uh, but I got to start talking about how we first entered into this relationship. And so uh, without losing you guys, let me try to summarize uh, what happened in creation. God uh, created humans. The first human beings, their names were Adam and Eve, right? We all know. And then when they were first created in God's image, they lived in perfect harmony, perfect relationship with God. So God, the creator and his creation lived in perfect harmony. But then what entered the scene? Sin entered the scene, right? And it started to break up the relationships that were there and it brought division. So one thing to know about sin is that um, there is no solution that we have about sin. Okay. Throughout lives, Throughout our lives, we'll continue to sin, right? But there's nothing that you and I can do about to get rid of it, except for dying to pay for it, okay? So it's like you and I messed up, and to pay for it, you and I need to die. Then the life ends there, right? So that's not really a solution. You know, dying to it isn't really a solution. So you and I will continue to sin, but there's actually nothing we can do as a solution to take care of the sin. So once we sin, relationships are broken up, and then there's nothing that we can do like good works or charity or giving big donations to people. None of that measures up to uh, like what it takes to be forgiven, right? So uh, that's why God had to take care of our sin. That's why God had to make a way because there was no way for us to go back to God. He had to come to us. Does it make sense? That is why we say we need a savior because it's impossible for us to save ourselves. So Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sin and we believe that uh If we believe that, then our sins are forgiven. It's like this. Someone says, it's like 
modern language, right? Uh, hey, this class is open. If you register, you will get it, right? Obviously, right? You have to, though, register, right? At least click something to register and get your name in there. And then you're going to be taken care of, right? You will get into the class. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to die on the cross. And that will take care of everyone's sin for those who register, okay? And then you at least have to put your faith in it. All right, I'm going to, if I do this, I'm going to get in, right? And so you at least have to register for that. Then you're going to make it, right? But if you don't, you don't get into the class. And you got nobody to blame because you are the one that didn't register, right? So it's, it's sorry, it's like I'm trying to speak at a college level, right? And it's like, so when Jesus died on the cross, he said, okay, whoever believes in me, whoever puts their faith in me, if you're going to submit your sin to me, then the cross and what I did on the cross will cover it all, right? And so all we need to do is what? Submit our sins under Jesus Christ so that he can pay for our sin. But if you don't register, if you don't submit your life, your sins to him, of course, it's not going to be covered by him. Simple, right? It makes sense, right? And so you and I, that's why we have to put our faith in what Jesus did and give our sins to him so that he can pay for that sin. That's how the gospel works, right? So it is by faith that we are saved. Because you and I didn't go to the cross. We didn't pay for anything, but Jesus did. And all we have to do is submit to that and believe that. And that's what takes care of our sins. So it is by faith and it is by grace. None of us earned it. We didn't contribute to any of the process. It was undeserved favor of God uh, for you and I. So now the salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven. How many of you grew up in the church? You know, so many people think this way. All right, good. That was a rhetorical question, but that's good, right? <laughs> uh, you know, you grew up and then you heard, oh, yeah, you know, you know, if you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. And that is talking about after you die, right? After I die, I got a ticket to heaven, so I'm going to be in eternity with God forever. However, what about your current life right now? What about your life here before you actually die in car crash or whatever, right? Right now, your life, what about that, right? So the salvation isn't about ticket to heaven, but it's actually about beginning of a relationship with God. Everyone say relationship. It gives you a status of a child of God. It gives you a status of a lover of God, a friend of God. And you get to actually enter into this relationship at a personal level. It's totally different than getting a document, getting a ticket, or getting a stamp that when once I die, I'm going to go to heaven. No, it's about having a relationship on a daily basis with this God right now, here on earth, and forever, for eternity. And that is the relationship that I'm talking about. If this was a ticket to heaven, I don't know if I would have been interested, to be honest. Because in my Christian walk, the highlight isn't the hope that one day I'm going to go to heaven. No, the highlight is truly my daily walk with God. His presence in my life right now. Even on bad days, on good days, the fact that I have him and he got me, he got my back. That is the highlight of our walk. And that's the relationship that I'm talking about. And this relationship is one that is secure. It's as secure as the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we got as a gift by just believing in this gospel. 
And so, you know, now that I summarized pretty much the gospel, and I am, you know, pretty sure most of us here have entered into this relationship by trusting in Jesus, right? And so let me talk about what hurts this relationship. And I already talked about it briefly. What hurt the relationship between God and Adam and Eve? It's simple. It's sin. It's their disobedience. It was their sin. When you sin, essentially... Any sin is sin against God because God's the one that determines what is sin and what is not. You know, a lot of us here, we have different moral standards. You will say, oh, that is so bad. I may say, that's not too bad, right? You and I may have different, uh, like, you know, standards of thinking. However, no matter, you know, it doesn't matter because who determines what sin is? It really is God. God determines what is sin and what isn't, right? And so, um, all sin is, oh, pretty much sin against God. Is it me? Am I doing it? Yeah? Okay, good. Oh, is it okay? Yeah? Okay. So, what hurts the relationship is Definitely sin. And sin is designed to, it's meant to function in this way, to break up relationships. Adam and Eve, when, when they ate the fruit, right? Their relationship immediately, they were like blaming each other. And also God and the two of them, if you think about it, after they sinned, that there was immediately hiding going on, you know? And there were lying involved, you know? So that the relationships were broken up because of sin. Now, not all Christians, but some Christians abuse this grace of God and continue in their sinful ways. And even after they become believers, and Apostle Paul also points it out, even in the early church, hey, there are some of you who really abuse this grace. You know, God has forgiven our sins. He calls us righteous and he calls us holy. And now some of you are trying to take advantage of that and continue in your sinful ways. And today I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, and, um, you know, the they say, these people say, oh, our actions don't matter anymore because we're already righteous in God's sight. They say stuff like, God will love us unconditionally and no matter what. And so how we live our lives don't really matter as long as we believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tackle this because uh, it's important for us to uh, understand how this works. Okay, And they don't understand what it means to, let me, let me say this, right, about uh, people who want to abuse God's grace to continue in their sinful ways, this is what I will say to them. Hey, you don't, rela- you don't understand that you're in a relationship. That's the first thing I will say. They think that God is some kind, and salvation and gospel is some kind of logic or like a formula, like one plus one equals two type of formula, right? And uh, I'm holy no matter what I do, so I live the way I live doesn't matter. It's like they think it's a logic, right? God loves me unconditionally. That means I can continue in my sins and it doesn't matter because it's unconditional. Like, not a bad logic. As a logic, it's, it's correct, but you're forgetting this. It's a relationship that you have entered into. Not a signed contract, right? Oh, if you believe in Jesus Christ, blah, 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 and you stamped it, and oh, now I finally have a contract signed. It's not a signed contract. It's not a slavery contract. It's a real personal relationship that you have with, with God, okay? Relationship 101. This is how all relationships work, okay? Relationship takes two parties. Any objection? It always takes two, okay? One person cannot have a relationship. I don't have a relationship 
by myself, with me, okay? I don't, right? Relationship takes two parties, and it's a series of interactions between the two. And that's what you call a relationship. Friendships, marriages, whatever, right? Uh, it always takes two parties. God loves you, right? Amen? But what about you? For you to have a relationship with God, yeah, God loves you, but what about you? Do you love Him? It's got to be two parties. It's got to be mutual. Uh, have you ever seen a good relationship in which only one party loves the other and their relationship works out great, right? Oh, I don't like him at all, but he loves me. So we have a happy marriage that no woman ever, okay? Uh, it does not work that way. And uh, it takes two parties making efforts to love one another to make the relationship work. So you are engaged in this relationship with God. That means you also have a part to play. He loves you, of course, but also it is for you to love him as well. And somebody asked me this once. Um, I was, you know, he he asked me, because I'm a pastor. He was like driving and he was asking all these theological questions. And the question he asked me was this. Hey, I was taught all my life that God's love is unconditional. We all learn the same thing, right? But in the Bible, he goes, it seems like it was, it was conditional. Okay? Uh, you know, I read chapters and chapters, and God's angry with his people when they do bad things. You know, when they disobey, God gets angry, God punishes them, you know. Uh, it doesn't look like God's love is unconditional. It actually looks very conditional. Right? If you read your Bibles, especially the Old Testament, you might have the same questions. Has any of you thought about this? Does, is God's love truly unconditional? Right? And my answer to him was this. You know, love is more than just feelings and emotions. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's a commitment. And when you say, um, you know, God gets angry at his people... Because he cares. You know, you don't really get angry about people that you don't care about. When someone wrongs you, if you didn't have any expectation from the person, you're not going to get angry. But if it's someone that's close, that matters to you, and you care about that person, and that person's action will affect you, and you will be angry, right? And so God gets angry at his people, Israel, throughout the history because God cares enough to even get angry about their sins. And it's also because sin always breaks and destroys things that God cares about their well-being, that God gets angry. But this emotion of getting angry, uh, that, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. It's like this. My mom gets angry at me when I do things that harm me, right? I do things that's destructive to me. And my mom, of course, will get angry. Of course, she will react to it. It's not because she doesn't love me, but it's, it's simply because she loves me. And that's an expression of my mom's love to me, right? And so, you know, God showing different emotions, showing his anger, and, and, and God sometimes even punishing his people, these things were, in fact, expression of God's devoted love to them. It's a picture of a real relationship is what I'm trying to say. You know, there's no like a rosy, pink, picture, perfect-looking relationship. If, if that's what you expect, let me say this, that's a very shallow relationship. If you have a shallow relationship with somebody, everything will be nice. 
you know, every, you will, you'll be courteous to someone. But once you have a real relationship, think about it. You're probably most mean to your mom and dad and your siblings. It's because, right? But to your classmates, you're the nicest girl, right? You know why? Because that's shallow relationship. And you don't truly show yourself to them. And there's no real deep interactions. But with your family, with your siblings, with your best friend, oh, you are going to have conflicts. You are going to fight. And you're going to show your true, raw emotions to each other because that's a picture of a real relationship, right? And so, you know, um, if you think that your action, your behavior... Your attitude and your sin patterns have zero impact to your relationship with God. Oh, that you must not believe God is a person. Like you must think that he's some kind of being or like a ghost. No, God is a person. He responds and he's the, he, he, he is, we do have a personal relationship with God. And so for you to enter into a real dynamic relationship with him, we gotta understand, oh, it's gotta be mutual. He and I, we are in a relationship, a real one, right? It's two-way. Uh, it's real and it's mutual. And now, I know when I talk about this, some people feel uncomfortable because they like to hear that this relationship is 100% up to God and we don't have any contribution. And it sounds more... Um, uh, it, you kind of want to think that because that takes away all responsibilities from us, right? And we're just passive recipient of God's love and it's all 100% God's love and we're just here passively receiving. And I know, I wish I could preach that, but that is actually not true according to the scriptures. It is not true. Uh, it is, okay, let me clarify. I don't want to confuse any of you. To enter into this relationship, it's 100% God. You didn't make any contribution, okay? Entering into this relationship, you did nothing, okay? You did nothing and nothing. You did nothing, okay? We did nothing, okay? It was 100% God. He initiated. He died on the cross. He called us. He invited us into this relationship. So up to that point, you and I have zero contribution. That is correct. However, from the point of entering into this relationship, it actually is mutual, it becomes personal. It becomes two-way. Let me uh, uh, read a few scriptures for you. Jeremiah 29, 13. Everyone loves 29, 11, but 29, 13. It goes like this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. What does this mean? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. God is saying, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. But if you flip it, God's saying, hey, if you, if you search me half-heartedly, you may not find me. Am I exaggerating? I don't know, right? Another verse, uh, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. It's another scripture that talks about like a dynamic of prayer, right? But if you don't ask, if you don't seek, let's think about if you don't knock, then what does the scripture tell us? Right? It, it does say, I don't want to flip it like completely opposite way, but I do want to point out this. These verses are talking about our contribution to our relational dynamic. It means that you and I need to search, seek. These verses are telling us to ask and knock. 
It's telling us that don't sit there passively as if you have zero contribution to this relationship, but you actually have a part to play. You're in a real relationship. You know, I have a best friend that I met in freshman in, in college. So we've been, you know, best friends for like 13 years now. And I always um, had trouble with this friend. We have real relationship, okay? So it's not like one of those, I'm nice to her, she's nice to me, she's not nice to me. Okay? And so it's a real relationship. And I always had to confront her occasionally about this one thing. Uh, I was always hurt by her because she never initiated anything. It's always I contact her. I ask her to meet up with me, right? I'm always the one that's initiating things. And my friend, even though she calls me best friend too, she never initiates anything. So I was very hurt. If you have any friend like that, you got to express it, okay? And so I was very like like one of those demanding friends. Come on, you know, if you're going to if I'm going to be best friend, you got to sometimes text me first, girl, you know? <laughs> sometimes you, you you know, I want to I want you to initiate certain things, you know? And then the dynamic starts to change and now we are, I think pretty mutually like you know what i'm saying and so things changed and she started to take initiative and and i loved it you know no one likes one-way relationships amen no one likes one-way like jaksarang you know like you like the guy but the guy doesn't like you no one likes that okay even in friendships no one likes it when you're the only one that tries to I build this relationship or friendship. Nobody likes this. It's always got to be mutual. And what do you think the author of these relationships think? Do you think, don't you think God loves it when you and I initiate things with God? When you and I talk to God? When you and I ask God, knock on the door for God and pray to God and sing to God? Don't you think God loves it when we initiate in this relationship as an active participant? Not just sit here and think, oh, I'm saved. You know, there's got to be a relationship between us. Now, if sin is what hurts the relationship, right, that we have, and if we care about this relationship that we have with God, then what do we need to deal with? We need to deal with this sin. Because we know, oh, this sin hurts the relationship, and I care about my relationship with God, then you and I will need to, I mean, you and I will want to deal with this sin. Human language, right? If you are unmarried, let's just imagine you have a gorgeous, not gorgeous, a handsome husband, okay? And if you know that your relationship with your husband is hurting because of your sin, wouldn't you want to deal with your sin? Right? That's like no-brainer, right? So let's talk about how to deal with this sin, okay? It's really, really simple, and you're not going to like this answer, but this is the answer, okay? How to deal with sin, it's called repentance. Everyone say repentance. Let me clarify, though. I'm not telling you to feel guilty, feel remorseful, and uh, that's not the essence of it, okay? We're going to talk about what true repentance really means. Uh, I know if you've been kind of around... Emmaus Campus Ministry or a New Philly as a, as a church, you might have heard about healing and deliverance. How many of you have heard the term healing and deliverance? Okay, a few of you. It's pretty much uh, being healed from your uh, the sins that others have committed against you. Okay, that is you experiencing inner healing. Okay, because others have sinned against you. Isn't that correct? 
Some other people have wronged you in the past, right? And you're experiencing inner healing from that. So that's the first part. And also deliverance is dealing with your own sin that you committed. How many of you here have committed some sins growing up? You have, okay? You all have, okay? You don't have to tell me that, okay? Rhetorical question again, okay? Uh, all of us, we've been sinned against, okay? All of us here, we also have sinned against other people. And all sins were committed against God, okay? And healing and deliverance is simply a session where we sit and talk about these things and deal with these things so that we can receive healing from God, but also we can repent of our own sins, okay? That's a good summary, I think, okay? But this healing and deliverance session doesn't work if there is no heart of repentance, No one can deliver you from sin when there is no repentance. Repentance is really key. You know, many Christians think that message of repentance is for the non-believers. And that's what you do when you first decide to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing you do. The sinner's prayer, Lord, I have sinned, I, I repent, and I choose you. And that's the only time that you pray the repentance prayer in your entire Christian journey. Oh my goodness, that's not right, okay? It is for every believer that has already turned to Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, Rick Warren uh, is a famous, uh, famous author, a pastor in America. He put it this way. Uh, repentance is like spiritual breathing. He's talking about how repentance is the essence of Christian walk. If you don't breathe, you can live, right? And this is why, and I will try to explain why he called it spiritual breathing. Okay? Here's a question I, I get often. Oh, Pastor myung God made me righteous and holy, right? In Christ Jesus, are we not holy? Are we not righteous? We are, right? We all are. Praise God. But why do I have to keep repenting? That's the question that I get all the time, okay? Oh, God calls me holy, but do I still have to keep repenting? You know, why? This is, I may lose like three of you, so don't be the three, okay? Uh, you are... <laughs> This is a, a answer, okay? You are legally, everyone said legally, not legally blonde, but you're legally righteous. You're legally righteous and you're positionally holy. Everyone say positionally. You're positionally holy through Jesus Christ. But you and I are still becoming behaviorally, everyone say behaviorally, <laughs> and actually holy. We're becoming behaviorally and actually holy, but in God's sight, we're legally righteous and innocent. We're positionally holy. What the heck does that mean? Let me explain. Legally. You know the universal law. You sin, you get punished. In every country you go to, the criminals get punished, right? We are all born with this sense, right? The wage of sin is death, the scripture says. Without shedding of the blood, which is death, okay? Without death, there's no forgiveness. This is also confirmed by the scripture. So sin needs to be paid for. If you... If someone sinned, there's got to be a penalty, okay? So we know this, right? And our God is the ultimate judge, and he is the righteous and just judge, okay? And so uh, the death penalty, oh my goodness, so, so much, okay? I'm trying to summarize this. Um, the death penalty was fulfilled by Jesus Christ, so you and I, our sins are forgiven. We're justified because Jesus Christ became the perfect and sinless ransom for our sins, okay? And so, because of that, you and I are without sin. 
It's like this. I put my sin on Jesus Christ. He paid for it. So therefore, we don't have any sins left. And so we're fully justified before the ultimate judge who is God. So we are legally, when we die, when we stand in front of the judge who is God, you and I will be declared innocent. Okay? A winnie. There's a list of sins. It's like endless, bottomless, <laughs> long list of sins. However, where's the punishment? Oh, Jesus paid for it. So it's all blotted out. So it's a blank page. Oh, Winnie is innocent. She's legally in the courts. Legally, she's righteous. Okay, she goes to heaven. Does that make sense, right? That's what I mean by legally. I should have just explained it that way from the beginning. Okay, so legally, we are all Righteous because of Jesus, right? Positionally, this is what positionally means. Hey, my mom, Kim Eun-suk, that's her name. My mom gave birth to Myung-ha Choi 31 years ago, okay? That's my age, okay? Uh, the moment I was born, I was her daughter, correct? Now, 31 years have passed. I am still her daughter, Correct? Right? Am I any more daughter to my mom than 30 years ago? Am I any less daughter to my mom than 30 years ago? No, right? It's position. She's my mom. I'm her daughter. I'm positioned to be her daughter. And the time or whatever I do does not change this. I messed a really big time, okay? Uh, let's say in five years, I, I messed a big time, right? By then, am I still my mom's daughter? Yes, because it's positional. She's my mom. I'm her daughter. This is something that does not change. And this is exactly what happened to us when we were born again as a child of God. You're positionally now daughter or son of God, right? And that does not change no matter what you do. So you're always positionally holy. You're always positionally a child of God, okay? Uh, who's married here? Josh. I think you're the only guy, right? So Josh, okay, is married to Tina. That's his wife's real name, okay? Uh, Josh is married to Tina. Is Josh going to be any more married to Tina in 10 years' time? No. He's still going to be a husband, right? The moment they set the vow at the altar on the wedding day, Josh became Tina's wife, right? And so that husband, right? <laughs> Josh became Tina's husband, Positionally, it happened and it will not be undone, all right? So in 30 years time, 50 years time, 7 years time, there's still going to be husband and wife. That is positional. So when God looks at us, oh, you're legally innocent because of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, you are also positionally a child of God. So we're holy and righteous. That's how we gained it. However, look at yourself today. Are you for real, for real sinless? Are we for real, for real, holy and righteous all the time? I'm so sorry, I am not. Are you? You are not. <laughs> None of us here are because we are still behaviorally and actually becoming holy. We're still on the way to having the character of Jesus Christ. Now it's all clear, right? So why do I still have to repent? That's why we are positionally good. We are legally, we're good. However, still we are becoming behaviorally and our actuality is catching up to the spiritual status God has given to us. And in theological terms, this is called, when we first gain it, it's called, anybody know it? 
justification. Have you heard of it, right? You are justified, and that is instant. The moment you believe in Jesus, your sins are blotted out. You are legally innocent. That's instant. Justification is done, right? But however, from that day on until the day we see Christ Jesus face to face, what happens is sanctification. Have you heard of it? Sanctification. We're still being sanctified day by day. And so we're justified by Jesus Christ. However, through Jesus, we're still being sanctified. That is what this relationship this journey is all about you and i are on that journey you and i are in that relationship that is why we still need to repent that's why we still have to because we sin we got to deal with it right that's why you and i still need to go through this practice called repentance uh first peter 1 15 it says but as the one who calls you is holy talking about God, you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. This is a scripture says, you, God who called us, he's holy. So be holy like him in all of your conduct and manner of living. Okay. So behavioral, behavioral holiness. Okay. We're still in the process of getting there. And so in your relationship with God, we are holy. Praise God. He calls us innocent. Even though I still mess up, I still sin, and I still lie, and I still am stuck in this cycle, God still today, right now, calls me, you're holy. You're still my daughter. And that's something no one can take away. From day one, I've been in this relationship, and God sees me the same way because he sees me through Jesus Christ. So he doesn't just look at my mistakes and sins. He sees me through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that's something to just praise God about, right? And however, we are also becoming holy day by day through this thing called repentance. We are changing, and God is changing us through his power. So until the day of completion, right, we will continue to sin, but we will continue to repent. That's how it is, okay? And repentance, what is it? It's not just saying sorry. Today, if you're going to remember one thing, I want you to remember what repentance really is about. It's not saying sorry, feeling guilty, admitting my guilt, or I regret, I'm really sorry, I regret. That's not what repentance is truly about. The biblical repentance is this. It's directional change. It's, you know, let's say God is over here, right? And then the sin in the world is right here. We're always walking. It's a journey. We're always going somewhere, right? We are on a journey And often, we're facing the world and the sin. So we're walking, right? And then when I say, Lord, I repent, it means I take a directional change. It means I turn away from my sin and I go towards God. That's what repentance really means. So not just like, so watch me, okay? Am I repentant? Look at me, okay? I'm so sorry, God. I am so sorry that I keep doing this. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. And I'm so sorry. And I just keep going into it, deeper into it. Do you think that is a picture of repentance? That is not. That is called lip service. 
That is you just feeling remorseful. You just want to feel better about it by just saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. In a real relationship, so many people do this, right? If there's a marriage, once again, it's the best example. A husband that's a cheated on wife, okay? And he says, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry, honey. And he continues to be in this cheated, cheating relationship with another woman. Oh, you think you're going to forgive him? Don't forgive him, okay? If he's going to mean what he says, what, what, does, what does have to happen? What needs to happen? He's going to turn away from his wicked ways, right? Say goodbye to that woman, right? And kind of come back to his wife and say, I'm so sorry, I'm coming back to you and I will never do it again. This is what true repentance looks like. It's a direction change. Amen? So when we say, I'm so sorry, God, I'm so sorry, God, I'm so sorry, God, but you're just continuing to walk in the same direction. Oh, sorry, the true repentance hasn't happened in your heart. You know, when, a, when there's a bad, bad son, let's use the example of a son and a mother. Bad son, JP, good example. Uh, bad son, right? <laughs> he used to be, okay? You know, no bad son changes dramatically because he feels remorseful and guilty. Because he suddenly wants to be a better person. You know what really changes a person? If you know anyone around you that has this kind of radical transformation, it's when you realize what you've been doing has been hurting the people that you love the most. That's when the bad son realizes, right, oh my goodness, what I've been doing, how I've been living has been hurting my mom and dad. It's been tearing their heart. It's I've been breaking their heart. Oh my goodness, I want to turn away. He's not running away from sin. He's actually running for love. The true repentance, the motive is never compulsion. It's never guilt. It's never a self-driven motive. The true motive of true repentance is always choosing to love. Oh my goodness, I've been hurting my mom's heart so much. I want to change. JP, isn't that your story? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen to his testimony. And also, when you realize, oh my goodness, my lifestyle, how I've been living, has been hurting God's heart. I've been breaking God's heart. That's when you will want to turn away from whatever you've been doing, and you want to go back to God. And you, you're saying, God... I'm so sorry. All these things that I've been doing have been hurting you. It's been breaking your heart. I want to come back to you. It's going back to the Father's arms. That's what true repentance means. And, you know, if you are being chased by your sin and your guilt and the remorse, I'm sorry. If you're being chased by it, it's not going to set you free. Okay? It's only when you are able to turn to Oh, the giver of freedom, the creator of freedom, that's when you will find true freedom from your sins. Okay? It's not by your will. I just want to say that. Because I always thought it was a willpower thing. I'm going to tell God today, today is the last day I sin God. This is, it's over. This is not, I'm done with this. And then in my weaknesses, you know what happens? Without even realizing, I'm going back to my sin patterns. This is called addiction. There's things called bondages. Does anybody here want to sin? Not really. We want to be free. You know, we want to stop, but sometimes you just can't. I've been there. 
I've been there for years and years, you know, from my sexual bondages ever since I was a kid. I had eating disorder for seven years and I didn't want to, but I always, I was stuck and I felt like I was being sucked into the same patterns over and over again. And I always thought, never again. I'm going to make up my mind once again. You know, the willpower, willpower will change me. Willpower will never change you. You gotta run to the Father. And the Father is the only one that can set you free. If you're running away from sin, sin's gonna chase you and eat you up. But if you run to the one who can actually set you free, you will be free. So it's not about, oh, running away from guilt and remorse. It's gotta be, I'm gonna run back to the Father. And He will rescue me. He will save me. And there I found my freedom. I'll share more of my testimony next time, okay? <laughs> but, you know, overcoming you know, in, you know, let me, let me just land here, okay? I want to close with, with this. But if, if you gotta want, get one thing, get this image. You don't repent for the sake of your, of whatever, right? You repent for the sake of relationship. You repent for love. You repent for going back to God. Uh, I'll land with this. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. This is when, Pharisees, these religious folks came up to Jesus and asked him a question, okay? They are experts in laws, okay? They are confident in their doings, and I'm pretty sure I keep all the laws, and they are stiff-necked people, okay? And these people come to Jesus and ask a question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? When they ask this, I'm pretty sure they were thinking, Oh, whatever Jesus will say, I'm pretty sure I'm doing it all right, he may say it's tithing. Oh, I'm tithing 100%, right? No, no, 10%, right? Uh, you know, whatever Jesus says, oh, I'm confident, you know, because I keep all the laws, right? They were confident, but Jesus replied with this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, right? And he adds this. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus summarizes all the do's and don'ts because they were expecting, oh, tell me all the do's and don'ts because I do all the right things. I don't do anything wrong. And to those people, a lot of people, when they come into Christian faith, they think it's about do's and don'ts. Christians do these things. Christians don't do these things. And I need to live by the rules. And that's what they think, how they think they're going to get their salvation completely off, right? So these people were asking with that intention. And Jesus says, hey, love your God. Hey, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says all the laws, meaning every single commandment found in the Bible and the prophets, all the prophets that spoke to Israel, everything is summarizes. Like these, these hang on these two commandments, loving God, loving people. That's it. And these Pharisees are probably like, what the? I do all the right things. I don't break any rules or laws, but my motive was never love. They know it. I did it to become a good Pharisee. You know, I've been doing this because it gives me a great reputation as a great Christian. Well, you know what I'm saying? And they're probably like dumbfounded. What the love? <laughs> you know, and every law, every commandment is about these two commandments. And that's how Jesus is going to look at us. Hey, it's not about just doing all the right things and whatever. I look at the heart. I look at the heart. The heart, repentance is all about the heart. 
It's not behavior modification. He's looking at our hearts. And it, it is about overcoming anything that gets into this relationship with God. If it hurts my relationship with God, I will quit that. If this hurts and hinders my relationship with God, because this relationship with God is most important to me, I will give that up. That is a true heart of repentance. It's not just, I'm sorry speech. It's not feeling the guilt and remorse and shedding some tears. You may not cry, but if you have the sincere heart, then you have the repentance. It's overcoming anything that will hinder or kill this relationship. It's giving that relationship your, your, your all. And if you do that, daily breathing, God, what is getting in the way? What is hindering my relationship with you today? If you pay attention to those things and you walk away from it and turn back to God, that's daily breathing right there. It's not this like, difficult, theological, formatted sentences that you have to utter. No, it's not. It's actually walking out this relationship with him. That's all that God requires. You know, some of us here, as I'm talking, you're probably thinking about what you need to repent about and whatever, right? And I just want you to uh, pray with me. Can we just close our eyes? Kate, could you just get on the keyboard? If you could just like take a moment to pray with me. just want you to picture an image you and your father just imagine you and God the father who loves you so much that at any cost he wanted you with him right and you and your father and I just want you to think about one area of sin in your life that you really want to be set free from that you've been really fighting It's something that you're ashamed of. It's something that you've been trying to overcome with your willpower. But you just feel like you're stuck in it or sucked into it or whatever the case is. just want you to think about one because I know there is probably more than one. And think about the one thing. And instead of focusing so much on how you feel about it, the shame or the remorse or the guilt or anything because usually our eyes are on ourselves but I want you to take a moment to look at God, look at the Father and today I want to challenge you to think about how much it costs for God to forgive you of that sin and today I want to challenge you to think about how much God hates that sin And how much God had to pay to forgive you from this sin. And also think about how much that sin hurts and breaks God's heart. And I'm sure you want to be free. But the truth is this. God, the Father wants you to be free from this sin way more than you do. God's heart is always freedom for you. He wants you to be free. 
know, if we are just going to focus on us and sin, we're never going to be free. We got to invite the Father into the situation. We need to understand how this affects, how this sin breaks my relationship with God. And how this divides and creates distance between me and my Father. And that's what we need to see. And when we see our heart, the Father's heart broken, that's when we are going to able to truly repent and run back to the Father. So I just want to give a moment to everyone here. I just want you to see yourself. You don't have to verbalize in prayer unless you want to, but I just want you to imagine yourself turning away, turning away from sin, turning away from your bondage and your addiction and your secret sins and your shame. Turn away from it. Change the direction. And I want you to just see yourself speeding up and you're running back to the Father. You're running back to God. Without fear, without hesitation, you're saying, God, I'm going to choose you. God, I'm going to choose my relationship with you. God, I'm giving this up and I'm going to quit this and I'm going to go to you. And I may fall into this once again, but Lord, I know that you will be my deliverer. And I know you will have the solution for this. Without hesitation, I just want you to run, run, run back to him. Change direction and go and just see him just hold you and welcome you. Just be in his arms. Just imagine yourself just being in the Father's arms. And hear him say, you're forgiven, my daughter. I love you. Nothing you do can change my love for you. I love you. I cherish you. I've been wanting to set you free. And I want you in my arms. I'm not going to let you go. I am with you. Hear the Father showering you cleansing you yes Father we thank you that though sin was strong your love was greater and stronger Though, Father, we failed in so many ways, you didn't fail in saving us and bringing us back to you. God, I thank you that we here, through Jesus Christ, are in a relationship. In a relationship that is secure, relationship that is lifelong and eternal. God, I just thank you, Father, that you are breathing hope upon your children. There's people that are just tired of fighting. There's people who feel like I'm unable to run anymore. Or I feel just so sorry that I can't even say I repent anymore. Because I keep going back to it. God, I pray over all the faint hearts that you're going to speak life again. You're going to breathe hope again, God. And Lord, you will give the strength for your children to run back to you again. And Lord, I pray, Father, the fruit of repentance will come and it will bear much fruit. Lord, I also just pray that throughout this semester that there's going to be continual tasting of the freedom that you give, God. Lord, I just thank you, Father, that whatever you have begun, you will finish. 
I just prophesy that over every single person, and I just pray over everyone here who couldn't even imagine of uh, the Father welcoming them back and hugging them, holding them. I pray, Father, that you will reveal your love and your unconditional love, O oh, Father, to your children today. God, I thank you that it is by your love that we can be confident in this salvation and in this relationship. And you initiated this. You brought us into it. And we simply rejoice in this relationship, God. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.